I'm so glad to have notes on the top of this over here in front of me. I say it unashamedly because I walked off and left them this morning. I didn't even print them. I just left them in the computer. So that was what a lot of my changing of the order of the service this morning had to do with the fact that I am sometimes negligent on certain things. Not on the most important things. Wait a minute, I said that a little bit differently. I am not negligent on the most important things, but this morning was an exception. Anyway, I have a message for you this morning that I want to bring, and uh, I, hope it, I hope it's listenable and uh, clear in the enunciation and in the declaration of this word. I will get, as you know, as I begin to preach a little bit louder than I am, I want to be sure that it's comfortable for you in the service this morning. Am I any too loud for you at all? A little bit? I'm good. I'm, I'm on target. Is that all right? Okay. Because I cannot judge that. And we have a little bit, of, we have a few complications that we work, are working through. But we're getting there and hopefully getting better and better. So praise the Lord. I'm glad you're here to hear this message today. Here's the beginning of it. Galatians chapter 1. I'll give you a moment to turn there in your Bible if you want to find it with me. I'm just going to preach a message this morning on this chapter, Galatians chapter 1. I hope you'll see the immediate need for it and you'll see the relevancy of it in our time today and that you will share with me the importance of it as we look at God's Word together. Galatians chapter 1, this is the way it starts. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Now, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will energize every word that's spoken here this morning. I pray that you will direct and guide and lead in all that's said and everything that we declare before you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is a powerful message that God gave the Apostle Paul for the collection of churches in the area or the territory known as Galatia. After Paul had preached and taught and established them in the message of the gospel that the Lord had revealed to him, he left on his missionary tour to travel other places as he usually did. When he left, others came in to teach a different interpretation of the gospel than what Paul had presented. And Paul is speaking to a group of people whose faith is under challenge. They have been taught that salvation is by grace, that is undeserved, unmerited, only due to the favor of God. They have been taught that they were delivered from any obligation to keep rules, to keep laws, from any legalism, that their life in Christ was based in faith 
in Jesus Christ and faith in him alone. Now others came behind Paul teaching a contrary message. These men became known as Judaizers because they came to all the Jews who were spread abroad telling them that now that they had given their hearts to Christ and were saved in Jesus, they also had to go back and perform certain things that were required under the law in order to be completely and thoroughly and absolutely saved. The primary thing they told them they had to do was the men had to be circumcised because God had given that to Abraham as a covenant long before to declare that they were his people. We've already covered that as I preached about Galatians leading up to the promises of God. I preached about the passages later on in Galatians which tell us that we're all sons of Abraham by faith. We're all of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because Paul says that by faith we have been adopted into the family of Abraham and by faith we're all sons of Abraham and that there is no circumcision of the flesh that has any value any longer. But the circumcision of the heart is where the important truth lies. That's what Paul taught. And now the Galatians were being stirred by these people coming around teaching false doctrine, telling them that what they had heard wasn't enough for salvation. They needed to do more. They were adding to the message of the gospel of Christ and telling people they could only be saved by doing more than have faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, there are people doing this same thing today. It's sometimes not recognized by everybody who hears it, but that is out there everywhere that you turn. And I'm going to deal with some of that today. But I want, first of all, to tell you that this other gospel that's being preached today is hidden with certain codes. Now, I'm going to use the term gospel when I say other gospel. I know gospel means good news, and if it isn't the message of Jesus Christ, it isn't the gospel. But the Apostle Paul spoke about another gospel in order to make it clear to these Galatians. So I'm going to mention another gospel as well and use Paul's terms. So another gospel that we have being preached today is couched in special words to make it seem to you that the truth, the simple, straightforward, plain, unadulterated, unvarnished truth of God's Word is not enough for us today. We need more than that because we're living in a complex society. We're living in a group of people who are much more sophisticated than the world has ever known. And just to preach Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose again for our justification, is coming again to take us with Him is not enough. I read in a full gospel newspaper the other day. Well, actually, it was an Assemblies of God paper. I guess it was full gospel. Should have been. And the title of the article was, Jesus is Not Enough. And I read the article. I got the point of the man's title. I got the point of his article. But after I read it all and tried to digest all of it, I still didn't like the title of his article. He could have titled it something other way to get attention. But I'm going to tell you today, if anybody preaches to you, writes a message to you, puts it on the Internet, stands up and proclaims it in the pulpit, sends it to you in an email or whatever it may be, if it says in any way, shape, or form that Jesus Christ is not enough for your salvation, for your deliverance from sin, and for your transport to heaven, then what you're reading is a deception and a lie. 
Now, these are the code words today for another gospel. Another gospel. The gospel of tolerance. It's too bad when the world takes a good word and tears it up and destroys it. I remember when it was a good thing to be tolerant. But now, when they say tolerant, they mean compromise your beliefs. You might be half right, the other people may be half right, and then the other guy somewhere in there throwing everybody. Everybody's a little bit right no matter what they say, no matter what they do. And so let's be tolerant. I'll be tolerant of you if you'll be tolerant of me. In other words, you believe whatever you want to believe, and I'll tolerate it. And we'll bring you into the fold. I believe whatever I want to believe, you tolerate me. We'll bring me into the fold. And we'll all stand together believing everything different and nobody knowing what it means to be saved. But we'll be tolerant of each other. And then another word that they like to use today is diversity. Oh, we love that one. Diversity. And some of you thought it was good. And it is good if they do what it really means. This is a diverse congregation this morning. We're ethnically diverse. Praise the Lord for that. We're probably educationally diverse. I know we've got some highly educated people in there. Then we've got some like me that don't know much. We're, we're educationally diverse. We're diverse in uh, levels of our socioeconomic standing. Sure we are. Not all alike. We're diverse. But our diversity does not include the dilution of the message of the gospel. You're allowed to believe it because you're allowed to be wrong. But if you want to believe that it takes more than Jesus to be saved, doesn't matter what you are, if you're Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist or Episcopalian or Assemblies of God or whatever you are, whoever you are, whatever stripes you may have that you carry around with you, you've got to believe one single, simple, straightforward thing, and that is Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, the Savior of mankind, and He's the only Savior of the world. So diversity, if it's proclaimed correctly, is a good thing. But when the world says it today, they don't mean what you and I mean. And then, and then here's the one they really love. This is the favorite word of another gospel. Don't forget this one now. That word is inclusion. Oh, we won't leave anybody out. We can't preach hell because we want to include everybody. We can't preach sin because everybody's a, different, everybody's a sinner at a different level. We want to make sure that everybody feels welcome. And we do want everybody to feel welcome when we preach the kingdom. But we will not lower the standards of that preaching in order for everybody to feel like, I'm all right. I'm all right. Because if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and haven't been forgiven of your sins, friend, you're not all right. And I have to tell you this, you're not included in the bride. You're not included in the rapture. There's not, many, there's not many places you're going to hear that today. You're not going to hear a lot of this on TV, not even by spirit-filled preachers. Because they're afraid that if you say too much like this, people won't give money to you. I don't have to worry about that. I don't know who gives in this church anyway. I have no idea who gives money in this church. I've told you this before. It's a good thing you to know. You walk up to me and say, Pastor, 
I didn't bring my tithe today. I, I, I might say, well, did you bring it last Sunday? Are you going to bring it next Sunday? I don't know what you I don't look at the tithing records of this church. I'm entitled to the lead pastor of this church. I could go ask every, I could ask every Monday morning, give me a list of everybody that gave. I never do and never have. And you know why? Because I'm going to stand up here and preach the truth to you, and you know I'm, not, I'm talking to you only if you're guilty. I'm not talking to you because I picked you out. I'm not talking to you because I heard about you this week. I'm not talking to you about because somebody reported you to me. And it's not just about tithe, it's about everything else. I, if I stand there, if I preach something that hits you right between the eyes, and I hope it do once in a while, just keep in mind, I didn't plan that sermon for you. I know some of you thought I did. I, I didn't, I didn't, even when I, was, when I was putting it together, I probably never even thought about it yet. I don't mean that you're not important, but I mean, I just, I don't base any sermon I ever preach on what I hear about any individual or what's going on with any individual. I might have heard you got drunk last week. And I may stand up the next Sunday and say something about that, but I won't be talking to you. I won't even be remembering it until afterwards. I'll say, oh, oh, he thought for sure I was talking about, I heard about it. Well, just rest assured, I'm never preaching that because I heard anything about you. So therefore, you can be sure. That sounds really loud when I say therefore. So therefore, you can be sure that whatever I'm preaching is just because it's true. Go ahead and accept it because it's true. And don't worry about my, because that I'm preaching it to you because I may not even know about it. If I do know about it, I'm not saying it because I know about it. I, don't, I never, I, why am I talking about this? I'm talking about because somebody's so confused here, they don't know that I'm doing that so. And I'm, and I'm also talking about false gospels. So here's, the, here's what Paul said. This is so important. Two different times in two different verses in the very first part of this book, this is what Paul says. If any man preaches a gospel, any other gospel other than what I have preached to you, Paul said, let him be accursed. And then he goes on in two, in two Verses later, he says, I did not come to you preaching man's gospel. He said, what I preached to you was not man's gospel. It was the gospel as revealed by the Holy Spirit, the New Testament, the New Covenant, the declaration of those things that we are declaring now and that we always say that this is the truth of God because it is the revealed Word of God. And what we declare to you to be true what I declare for you to this pulpit is what I fully and totally believe is said by and substantiated by, proclaimed by, this book that we go by, this book that we live by. That's the message that we want to preach, plan to preach, and believe that we are preaching. There are many false gospels. There are even denominations built around it. Let me just give you a couple of guidelines. Because Paul wanted the Galatians to know that they were on shaky ground, sinking ground, where they believed another gospel than what he had preached. There are denominations, whole denominations that are built on error. And I know if I were called the names of those denominations, I would say, well, i got a cousin that's in that church, and he's a pretty good guy. Nobody's saying that everybody in these places is bad. Nobody's saying that they're all the devil. Just saying that they're deluded and deceived and misled as far as the message of the gospel is concerned. Do you know, and I know this is going to sound a little bit strange to some of you, I believe that you can be in a place that is not wholly preaching the truth and still be saved. But I don't believe you'll stay there 
if you grow in Christ. If you grow in the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, you will not stay there. And any, listen, here's a guideline. Any church, any denomination, any organization that has any book that they give equivalency to the Bible to, they make this book equivalent to the Bible, that's a false teaching. That's a false place. That's error, and the Scripture declares it to be so. There is no book that compares to the Bible, and there are churches. I could name a few of them. Is there anybody that don't know the churches I'm talking about? If you don't know the ones I'm talking about, because if you do, if you don't know, I'll tell you. I guess most of you know. Like like Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not talking about against people now. I'm talking against error. There's nothing to do with it. I just got through saying this. There can be some good people in confused places, in wrong places. They just won't stay because as the Spirit deals and leads them and He leads them into truth, they'll come out. So they will not stay in the Seventh-day Adventist church. They will not stay in a Mormon church. Or it's not called church, but in a Mormon organization. I have nothing against these places, and I'm not speaking against them. Please don't think that I'm speaking against these places like Christian science. It's just the fact that that belief, first of all, it isn't Christian. In fact, it isn't science. So these that I've named, and these are not the only ones. I'm going to go a little bit further than this in just a minute, but I want you to understand this. I'm not talking against these organizations. I'm talking against a teaching. And any teaching, no matter who it is, just like the one I told you a few minutes ago that showed up in an Assemblies of God paper, Jesus is not enough. Any teaching that sustains itself, going on to the point of adding another writing to it that they call equivalent to the Bible, is already in error. That's your guideline. It's wrong. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the gospel of Joseph Smith. It's not the gospel of Charles Russell. It's not the gospel of, who's the next one I was thinking of? William, who went out on the mountaintop and said, everybody get on your white robes, let's get up on the mountaintop. We all want to be together when Jesus comes, and here's the date and the time that he's coming. That was 150 years ago, and he still hasn't named the time yet. So I'll go out and look at it again. It doesn't matter who. What matters is that you know that anybody who has a book that says it's equivalent to the Bible, and we read the Bible, and we read this, and this is what we live by, is in error. Now, I don't like to be thought of as somebody who's just radical and extreme, but there's one sure thing about this message that I'm preaching to you today, and that is that the Bible supports this one true fact that's the basis of what I'm telling you this morning. The basis of all I'm telling you supports this one true fact. Jesus himself said it. I am the only way. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The apostles preached it. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. It's been declared all through the Bible. Again and again and again, it substantiates itself, saying there is one way and only one way, and that way is Jesus Christ, and Him alone. Not Him with all the things that we add to Him, but Him alone. He is the one way to salvation. And so we want to stand, we want to stand on truth. So if there's another book that's made equal with the Bible, that's a perversion of the true God.
gospel message. It's a denial of the true gospel message. And one of the things that we find today is not recognized as religion. But I believe that there are some things, I, I believe that extreme environmentalism, I have to say this, extreme environmentalism. I don't mean liking the water to be clear and liking the grass to be green. I'm talking about extreme environmentalism. So that we're willing to shut down a state for a, a little two-legged bug that there's only two of them left. Extreme environmentalism is its own religion. And it's a false religion. Because it's a religion of the world. It's a religion of pseudoscience, really. And you must not be deceived. Don't be led into these things and give your attention to any of these things. Give your time and your devotion and your money to any of these things. Because it is a false message. And the true message is one that you already know. You don't have to find anything else. You've already found the way to life. You found it in Jesus Christ. But there, but there are there are things that are slipping by us. There are things that are slipping by us today that we have to be careful and be attentive to it. This is something that I heard someone say on videotape. I went on YouTube and watched it several times, watched different renderings of it. All came out every time at the same time. This is what a person said. Deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and cultural biases have to be changed. You get the message? You get what I said? That your, your and my deep-seated cultural beliefs have got to be changed. Our religious beliefs have to be changed. And cultural biases have to be changed. We're so cult we're such in, so much in the culture of Jesus that that's what we believe in, believe his word, but that's not good enough for the world. That's got to be changed. You know why? Because that doesn't harmonize with what they believe and want us to believe. That doesn't harmonize with the message of abortion. What we, our religious beliefs oppose that. But our, not the message of abortion, not, that's not what has to be changed. Not what the Supreme Court said. That's not what has to be changed. What has to be changed so it can be more accommodating is our beliefs in the Bible. By the way, it was Hillary Clinton who said that. And that's not political. I'm not saying that politically. I don't mean it. I'm just telling you. That's, that's what we are facing today. And, and there are many, many people who passed on that word. I went and looked it up and found the message at a time when last April she was speaking to the, to the uh, women in the world. And they are in the world, I'll say that, conference. And she was talking about abortion when she said that. The way to make it more accommodating and easier for women to have abortions is we've got to change our cultural biases and we've got to change our religious beliefs. That's a false message, my friend. That's another gospel. That's the wrong teaching that we do not want to accommodate in any way. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to tell you that if we do not stand for truth, if we do not stand for truth, we'll fall for error. You know, I, I, want, to, I want to give you a, a little encouraging something about this, this book this first chapter. One of the ladies of our church who's not here now, she's moved away. Elizabeth Soley came to me one time and she said, Pastor, you talk about God has always had a plan for us and 
always had a plan for our lives. She said, I just don't understand this. Well, if that's the case, why did I, why did he let me waste so much of my life not doing what he wanted me to do, not living for him? But finally, many years after wandering from him, I, I found him or he found me and I came to Jesus. Why did he let that happen if he had a plan for me for all of my life? And this is the scripture that I gave her when she asked me that question. This is what Paul said. But he's talking about why his gospel, the gospel he preached, is the message of truth. He said, this is the reason we know it's true. Because, first of all, I was a persecutor of the faith. I killed Christians. I persecuted those who were followers of the way. I threw them in jail. When Stephen was stoned and martyred, the first Christian martyr in the New Testament, the Bible says that Saul of Tarsus was standing by the side, agreeing with his murder. He lived. That was the life he lived. He was on his way to Damascus when the Lord encountered him, threw him off his beast, fell on the ground, and recognized when he cried out, Who are you, Lord? And he heard a voice saying, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And he believed it, and he followed it and acted on it and lived by it. And he became Paul the Apostle. He says all of that here in the latter part of this first chapter of Galatians. And then he says, this is what he's giving, how God called him and gave him this revelation of the gospel. And this is what I told Miss Elizabeth. In the 15th and 16th verses of Galatians chapter 1, and if you don't have your own Bible to write it in, make a note of it. You might want to go back and look at it and refresh your mind on this. Paul said, but when he, the Lord, who had set me apart, before I was born, and who called me by his grace, undeserved, unmerited favor. When he was pleased to reveal his son to me, at a time, the time came when he was pleased to reveal his son to me. On that Damascus road, God chose the time that he would reveal Jesus to Saul of Tarsus, and make him into Paul the Apostle. When that time came, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, that's how I came to the revelation of the gospel, is what Paul says. And so here it is, my friend. God has a plan for you. Look in Psalm 139. Start looking at... uh, the 15th verse, I think it's verse 15 and 16. And there you'll find the psalmist talking about God knowing us at the instant of conception, at that instant, and following us and knowing us through the development in the mother's womb until birth and then on after that, that God has found us and chosen us. That doesn't mean that we're predestined to salvation. It means that we're predestined in Jesus Christ. Our predestination is locked in the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. He was slain for all men, for all mankind, so that any person who wants to come to Jesus for salvation can come, be forgiven of his sins, be drawn into the family of God, and built as a member of the kingdom of God by our own choice and faith as the Holy Spirit draws us, leads us into him. We come to Christ. And from that point, we know that he has called us into his salvation, into his eternal life, into his glorious future that he's planned for every one of us. God has a plan, yes. He had a plan for the Apostle Paul, and Paul didn't know it.
one of the years of his life. He lived his early life persecuting the followers of Jesus. Why didn't God find him before that? Paul said it's because he came to him at the time that he was pleased, when it pleased God to reveal his son to him. And that's what God has done for every one of us. He found us. He caught us. At the time that it pleased him to reveal his son to us, and when he revealed his son to us, and we accepted him, as Paul did. When Paul was knocked off his beast into the dirt, and the brilliant light shone around him, and he heard a voice that nobody else heard, he wasn't saved at that moment. He was saved when he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Lord, Lord, who are you, Lord? You are the Lord. And Jesus said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And Saul of Tarsus believed it, stood on it, accepted lived his life, the rest of his life, until his head was put on the chopping block to be decapitated. He declared from that time on, from that moment on the Damascus Road, he declared forever after, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Lord, who are you? I'm Jesus of Nazareth. That's who I am. And so he goes on in this chapter to tell the Galatians that he preached this gospel, this only true gospel. The only true gospel, Paul said, is the one I've preached to you. The only true gospel is the one that he has revealed to me, that I've declared to you. And only by living in the words of this gospel and the preaching of this gospel will you follow Jesus all the way to heaven. That's Paul's message to the Galatians. And he goes on. That really is the theme of this book. The theme of this book is being true to the spiritual life that has become a part of you, become the vibrant, living breath of you, of your life, because of Jesus Christ and his reality to you. So he said this book is written to keep you far from sin and to keep you guarded from false doctrine, to keep you from error. I'm declaring to you once again in this book, he said, I'm declaring to you once again, what I've already taught you, what I've already preached to you, and that message is that Jesus Christ is your salvation. And this is the only true gospel, he said. The only gospel is the one that I've preached to you. Not the message that I, your pastor, preached to you. I'm just preaching the message that Paul preached. I'm just declaring what he said. And I can tell you every single thing that I've declared to you is right here in this book. You don't have to go all the way through it either. You can just read the epistles of, of, of Paul, and you will know that everything, as you read the epistles of Paul, you'll know that everything I've declared to you this morning, if you believe the Word of God, you believe it's true according to God's Word. And so God knows where we are today, doesn't He? He knows where we are. He knows who we are. He knows exactly where we stand with Him. I don't know if there are people in this congregation this morning who are not saved. There may be people who are members of Christian families and you've been coming to church for years and you never really made a true decision for Jesus. I don't know. You may be young. You may be older. You may have been wondering for a while if you really did make a clear decision for Christ. All I can tell you today is that there's an open door, an open pathway for you to come to Jesus because it's always there. And today... Anybody who doesn't know him can receive him. And anybody who has an uncertainty about your salvation can have an assurance, can have it clear 
I'm absolutely certain. I can tell you how to do that. And others can as well. So I'm going to ask you this morning to dwell on that. To dwell on it. It may be that you've made a decision for Jesus. And I wouldn't challenge any decision anybody's made for Jesus. But I will tell you this. Every decision for Christ needs to be declared publicly. It's a part of it. It's a part of it. Every decision for Christ needs to be declared publicly. There are people who do that and don't follow him. But people who do not do that are those who definitely do not continue to follow him. Because that's what Paul said in Romans. He said, how to be saved? That if you will believe, that if you will confess with your mouth, that's the open confession. That's the public declaration. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And later on as I teach more about Galatians, I'm going to teach what it means to be saved. How we are saved by confession and repentance. And when we're saved, we experience justification. We experience adoption as well as forgiveness. And all of that he declares to the Galatians as well as he goes on in the six startlingly powerful chapters of this book. Today, if you want to make it all clear with Jesus and you want to publicly declare your faith that you've not done it before, this is the time for you to do it. I'm going to ask everybody in the congregation with me right now to stand, please.